the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Ben. My name is Noel. Uh, I wanted to work in a Fred Durst reference in here, some kind of Limp Bizkit nod because of what was happening off mic that I thought was delightful. Yes, uh, super producer Casey Pegram actually does most of our intros. They're just off air. And uh, Casey, you, you... you queued us up uh, when we asked if we were rolling with a, a specific reference. Is that correct? That is true. And I, I leave it to the listener to uh, deduce what, <laughs> what the connection there would have been with the concept of rolling. But <laughs> I will say that uh, Fred Durst, um, back behind the, the camera in the director's chair. Oh, my gosh. He's Can got we... a new movie coming out. Oh, what is it? Uh, I don't know it's what it's called, called. It's called The Obsesso. Yeah, and it's uh, got John Travolta in some very interesting... Um, he's making some interesting choices. Yes, yes. Both hair-wise, uh, accessory-wise, and um, let's say... What's that? I don't know. I don't want to say it on the show, but you might remember in the movie Tropic Thunder. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Cruise plays a character. Makes a certain choice. And it makes a certain choice, and it's recommended that you don't go full that thing. True. Um, in this uh, film, John Travolta seems to be making that choice. I agree, I agree. So Weird. maybe something to catch like uh, on video or something. I think so. A, a yeah. curiosity. No, that's yeah. not actually what it's called. It's, it's just, it's called like the the nut job. It's <laughs> called like something like that. Well, it kind of, it sort of looks like a rip off a big fan, right? That Patton Oswalt Ooh, movie. Totally. Oh, uh, okay. I Hold think on. it might be called The Fanatic. Maybe. Are that's you, it. whoa, yeah, yeah, whoa, yeah. whoa. Are you, Casey, are you accusing Fred Durst of being unoriginal? Well, I would never say that. I hope not. Having, yeah. you know, invented 
the irresistible blend of rap and rock music. I, I saw a great meme where it said Fred Durst explaining rap metal to executives, and it was that like always sunny, like conspiracy pegboard meme, <laughs> right. but, with, Lopez, but yeah. with uh, Fred Durst's face with the backwards red ball cap <laughs> awesome. superimposed on it. Love it. Uh, well, just just back to the reference. Uh, this is something that Fred Durst would do in per- perpetuity. He rolls. Yes, it is true. That's the philosophy of Durst. And uh, while we are talking about the philosophy of Durst, while we're talking about this film, which none of us have seen, to be fair, uh, we also find that Fred Durst has something in common with the subject of today's story, which is that historically, he, like many other people in positions of power, has he's, he's done some dumb things or ill-advised things because there was no one around to be anything less than a syncophant or a yes-man. Uh, today's story <laughs> takes place uh, not in the wild frontiers of rap rock, but back in the 1300s, on August 26, 1346, an English and Welsh army met a French force uh, in, Casey, could you help me out with this one? It's spelled C-R-E-C-Y. I'm going to say Clasey, something like that. Sounds so good when he says it. Casey on the case. On the absolute case, yeah. Clasey. He's got it. He got it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely not in the wilds of, of rap rock, that, that undiscovered country, uh, but it is in something of, of, a, of, a, of a Wild West kind of frontier uh, because we had the king of Bohemia, uh, King John, um, mm-hmm. who joined this conflict uh, when the English and the Welsh met uh, the French forces at Clasey. But here's the thing. Uh, back in 1340, John— had been on a mission, a crusade, uh, where he had lost his sight completely. Yeah, the conflict here in 1346 had some twists that no one saw coming, especially not John. Uh, He had been a warrior for most of his life, and he did not let being blinded slow his role. You see, John of Bohemia was born in 1296, a member of the Luxembourg dynasty, and he became the Count of Luxembourg in 1310. And he married a woman named Elixa of the ruling dynasty of Bohemia. Her father died without a male heir, and so John inherited the kingdom and was crowned in 1311. But he he had really close bonds with France, such that he had sent his son to be raised in the Parisian court rather than in Prague. And, you know, Noel, as you mentioned, he was on a crusade when he lost his sight completely, but he wasn't blinded by enemy forces. It turns out that he had a genetic condition. This caused him to go blind on crusade in Lithuania. But his reputation seemed to bear the hit just fine. There were no challenges to his rule. He was still king. He was still considered a knight. He was still considered a warrior. And so when the battle there at Clasey occurred, John was dead set on going to the conflict. But how how exactly did he wind up there? What what led to him joining the fray? Okay, so here's the thing. Edward the Third's what team? Crew? Band? Wrecking crew? Yeah. 
band, band of brethren, of, yeah, of knighted brethren, uh, sworded, gilded, knighted brethren, had absolutely obliterated one of the most well-equipped um, armies in all of Europe, which belonged to King Philip VI of France. Um, and he did this. Uh, remarkably effectively um, without losing too many men. But the ones that died on the French side of things were pretty well regarded, um, and, and they kind of bore the brunt of this, which yeah. is unfortunate. Yeah, there were a For lot, the French. For the French. There were a lot of casualties on that side, and the subject of today's story is probably the most well-known, most famous of those fatalities, that is blind King John of Bohemia. And it's weird because he's the king of Bohemia, so how is he involved in this conflict between the French king, Philip, and uh, between Edward of England? Here's how it went down. So Philip reaches out to blind John from Luxembourg and says, uh, join me in this fight against this guy, Edward, in England. And John at the time was hanging out with his son Charles, who had just been uh, just been crowned as the King of Germany. So John goes to meet Philip in Paris on the 13th of August. And, you know, they crew up their forces and they go after Edward and they ride toward the coast. So he really is pulled into the battle because of his friendship with the French king, Philip, who, as you said earlier, Noel, his forces are just getting waxed left and right. So he needs all the help he can get. But historians uh, only know one popular tale about any Bohemian involvement in this battle, and that is what John of Bohemia did when he finally got to the battlefield. Because, look, he's he's got experience. He's a smart guy. He's got moxie more than a little. Mm-hmm. He's got, he's got what we would call chutzpah. But he also literally cannot see, which is a, you know, for many people, that would mean that they absolutely couldn't participate in riding a horse, much less riding one into a fight. But he would have none of that. He would not be kowtowed to. He would not be treated with any kind of special consideration. Um, he wielded his sword with a plumb, uh, often swinging wide and, and having his uh, his men kind of have to duck and cover. Uh, and again, at the risk, not at the risk, just, just very, very quickly and importantly, not to sound ableist in any way. I mm -hmm. mean, having no sight is is obviously a very serious condition that requires a lot of life changes. The thing that's interesting about this is that uh, John refused to make those changes and operated in the manner of sort of a, a megalomaniacal monarch existing in a bubble and refusing to do anything outside of what he believes he should be doing. Right. And at this point, he's used to not having sight. He was, you know, he was blinded years ago by the time 1346 rolls around. Sure. What I'm saying is he's expecting others to make concessions to him uh, rather than, you know, maybe thinking it wise not to participate in certain activities that might be best, uh, you know, afforded to uh, the sighted. Mm -hmm. Very, I mean, very much so. And it leads to what is romanticized as this, um, as this heroic battlefield moment. I, the story goes like this. Here's the story that we know from a couple of different sources. Apparently, King John had his knights 
tie their horses, physically tie their horses to his and ride forward toward the English all together so these guys could kind of help him steer. And he said that no bohemian, even one who was blind, could be said to have ever run from a fight. We have a couple of medieval sources. One, the Chronicle of Prague, specifically quotes John as saying, Far be it that the king of Bohemia should run away. Instead, take me to the place where the noise of the battle is the loudest. The Lord will be with us. Nothing to fear. Just take good care of my son. Beautiful Oscar moment. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. So yeah, I mean, you know, we we've got this image of of these uh, uh, these knights riding alongside John, kind of helping steer his his uh, his his steed a bit. We have several different accounts. We have Czech sources that say that there were only two. Uh, that were tethered to to this horse, and then we have English folks uh, citing many, many more. What we can say for certain, uh, and this comes from a fantastic article on historical hunting. You know, we always say articles are fantastic. Is it me? Some of them aren't fantastic. I don't know why I always say that. The, I, the, the, you know, the ones that aren't fantastic shouldn't make it to the air. That's probably a good point, Ben. That's a very good point. This one is, in fact, fantastic, coming from historicalhoney.com, and saying that what we do know, despite the differences in accounts, is that he did head directly into the the fray. Yeah, you'll hear some differences in uh, an English source versus a Czech source. Uh, Those differences are primarily going to be about how many knights were tethered to King John. Was it a bunch or was it only two? And you'll also hear about when this famous charge occurred. The English sources say that the charge came in the climactic moments of the fighting, but the Czech Chronicle says that he charged pretty much after the French had run away. The thing here is the English source, Frassar, got his information directly from the English court and the Czech chronicler got their information directly from the Czech court, maybe even John's son, Charles, directly. And so the big question here is, uh, which side 
can we believe? Does either source have kind of an ulterior motive? Did the English writer want John of Bohemia's death to seem like it was justified so that nobody on the English side was charged with the unethical act of killing a blind man? You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, and it's not clear uh, from the record uh, which which one of those is more accurate. And, yeah, and would, would John have deliberately ridden to certain death? It's weird because here's what we here's what we learn uh, that there were already a bunch of dead and dying horses on the ground because they had practiced you know early forms of trench warfare. There were pits dug in the ground. There were people shooting arrows well beforehand. Still, even with that kind of littering the battlefield, they probably could have made the charge. So we know it actually happened. For sure, for sure. Uh, we do have a lot of other fun historical accounts of this uh, this deed, this charge. One of my personal favorites is by the medieval chronicler. That's a, that's a great job title. It seems much more important than just a historian. Uh, ben, you, you pronounced this earlier. I believe it's Frossar. Yeah, that's what we went with. Yeah, that's right. And he wrote around 1370 um, in great detail about this event. And I, I I don't know. It sounds pretty poetic and larger than life, but I want to read another one. Ben, you did one earlier and did a great job. So here's my attempt. When he understood the order of the battle, he said to them about him, Where is the Lord Charles, my son? His men said, Sir, we cannot tell. We think he be fighting. Then he said, Sirs! Ye are my men, companions and friends in this journey. I require you to bring me so far forward that I may strike one stroke with my sword. They said they would do his commandment, and to the intent that they should not lose him in the press, they tied all their reins of their bridles around to other and set the king before to accomplish his desire. Boom. And so as we can tell, both of these accounts are written, you know, just a couple decades after the actual charge. So there still would have been living people around with firsthand knowledge of this. And this is one of the crowning achievements of this guy's life. This is the kind of death, at least the way it's depicted, that many uh, warriors would envy. Absolutely. Know? And the way it's, the scene is set by uh, Frasar, it, it sounds to me like the men are acting in like pure solidarity and they respect this king, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I hope I didn't make him sound buffoonish earlier. I mean, this is absolutely not just the work of a, of a megalomaniacal madman who's totally out of touch. I think he very much wants to go into battle with his uh, with his men, right? He didn't have to do that. He could have stayed in like his in, in his uh, tent, you know, mm. be carried around in a litter or something like that. But instead, he wanted to, you know, dive in. Also, we have to ask ourselves, could they have refused him? Because he is, after all, the king, you know? It reminds me of that scene in Lord of the Rings in the film adaptation when Aragorn is giving that speech at the Black Gate, and he's like, a day may come when the courage of men fails, et cetera, et cetera. But it is not this day. No, it is not. Makes me think of the Braveheart speech. Exactly. Kind of. Exactly. It's like its own genre of speech. It is. And this this is a real version of one. Uh, The weird thing about John, though, is that his story doesn't stop when he physically passes away. His remains get moved around a lot. He was first interred in the old abbey in Luxembourg City, and then the monastery where he was interred was destroyed 
1543, and so they moved his body to what they called the New Abbey. Then dug up again uh, during the hellish time that was the French Revolution and given to the Boke family, who uh, I believe were partners in a, in a, in a pretty well-known company at the time called Villaroy and Boke. What did they do, Ben? I'm interested, just for the sake of our audience here who wants to know things. They could just Google it. Um, let's see. They sell flatware. Uh, they sell, you know, plates, cutlery, dining collections, ceramics. Oh, it's very much still around, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, no, still in play. It's, it's like very uh, fine. Uh, well, maybe not fine, but it's it's certainly you can buy it at Macy's. It's not like you know fine china, but it ain't cheap. Let's see, a set of Villaroy and Boke French garden plates is is one hundred and sixty bucks. That's you know middle middle of the road, but I bet back in the day it was it was more pricey. But they hid. These remains in their attic. The Boke family. The Boke family did. And uh, there they stayed in the attic or in the area until 1833 when the Prussian king, Frederick William III, visited the Rhineland and a member of the Boke family, Jean-Francois, gave him the relics. And this this wasn't just like a, a, a weird gift there was a reason that Frederick William would be interested in these, and that's because he claimed that he was descended from John of Bohemia. So this felt personal to him, and he took them. Uh, he took them back to Germany. Was he cremated, or like? Uh, I'm sorry, I pronounced that like a like a real jerk. No, you're fine. I'm, I'm fine with it, though. I'm gonna lean into it. Um, so if if you you know, presumably he was cremated uh, because they would have had to store his his, his remains in some. Easily, easily transportable form. I guess it could have been his decomposed bones, but that isn't that would have taken time. I think maybe they they put his bones in a container, you know, because so much time has passed. Eighteen thirty three. There's not going to be any flesh left. That's true. They must have just dug him up. You're right. He was buried properly, and then they dug him up, and then just you know put his bones in a pile, and 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 just carted them around. Side note: I have to say. Uh, We've been we've been doing this show for a couple of years now, and uh, oh, actually, <gasps> it's our anniversary. Is it today? I don't know if it's today, but we're very close. Christopher Hasiotis pointed it out to us earlier. So off air, we we just looked it up because Christopher is uh, way more on top of it than the three of us, and it is actually the two year anniversary of this show sometime this week. Can so you believe it? Happy anniversary, man! Happy anniversary too. What'd you get me? Uh, I, you know, I, I got you a hat the last time I was traveling. The last two times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm making it a thing. I, I love it. <laughs> I love, I love hats. Uh, speaking of which, just uh, the hat that I'm wearing right now uh-huh. from Fort uh, Mount Hood, uh-huh. the, uh, 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 Timberline Lodge, mm-hmm. that's where the Overlook Hotel, uh, is. Ooh, yeah. nice. That's where she saw that, uh, that Shining shirt I was wearing the other day, Casey. Got that there, too, at Excellent. the, at the Timberline yeah. Lodge, uh, gift shop at the Portland Airport, which is one of the best airports for gift shopping I've ever been to in my life. Thanks, man. That's the one they use for the the exterior shot in the movie? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It must it be. It does not have the hedge maze? That's yeah. right. Yeah. The okay, interior cool. one is different. Right. It's uh, the Stanley Hotel. Also, happy anniversary to you, Casey. Yes. I'm just spread, spreading the cheers. Oh, yeah. for the show. For the show, yeah. I was like, I have show. no personal anniversaries <laughs> of which to speak. No, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't call you out on air like that. This is a, it's a showversary. Uh, so also, thanks to everyone who uh, has been lending us an ear these past two years. 
tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. The big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Here's what happened. They took John's bones, his remains, and they built a chapel just to house those bones. And everything seemed fine. It seemed he had found his final resting place until, that is, 1945. The Nazi party in Germany is just about to lose the war. Uh, The government of Luxembourg the way HistoryNaked.com in a a fantastic article describes it uh, is that Luxembourg quietly liberated John of Bohemia. I love quiet liberations. They're the best kind. They robbed his grave. Ah. That's what they did. They, they, they took his remains and they brought him back to Luxembourg city's Notre Dame cathedral. And that's where they are now. But how did he actually die? I don't know. Ben, I have a question for you. Do you think it requires religious belief to be at all concerned with how people's remains are treated? No, not at all. You don't think so? Mm -mm. No. So you so so you think you would be concerned for how someone else's remains are treated based on respect for their religious beliefs? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Uh, that's part of it. But also, if they have any living relatives, I would I, I would want to avoid that. Oh, and that's the that's the thread I almost lost. Thanks for bringing that of course. up. Got lost. Got sidetracked a little in the uh, in the anniversary thing. Uh, over the course of this show, we've run into several cases where people just keep playing with or attempting to possess the physical remains of famous folks. Like that one guy whose head disappeared. What was it? Uh, Lord Nelson? Lord Nelson. Horatio Nelson. That's Wasn't that it. his name? Yeah. And, forget it. He was a sea captain. And what happened? His head disappeared? I, I you know, ben, I just remember he was pickled in brandy. That's right. They transported his body. <laughs> he died in a, in a very, very uh, similar fashion to uh, to our, our hero today. Only he, he could see and he um, was shot on the deck of his ship. But he was there neck and neck with his men. Mm-hmm. in the fray of battle, knowing full well that he he might well take a bullet, and he did, and he died. And then they pickled his body in a keg of, it was rum, actually. It wasn't it was rum. Um, but then there were all these uh, spooky tales about maybe they they drank the rum. Yeah, and, yeah, 
yeah, I believe yeah. a drink is named after a rum-based drink is named after him or something like that. But it's you know, it's is it really that different from drinking the tequila with the worm in it? I mean, other than a, it's a human body. This is getting dark. Never mind. I'm getting the uh, Halloween effect. As we can rightly assume, back in the 1300s, there wasn't too much in the way of what we would call forensic science. So it wasn't until 1990 that someone examined the skeleton of the blind king of Bohemia, and they were able to discern more details about how he died uh, on that day in August. And the details, I got to tell you, they're, they're pretty graphic. If you are a person who is averse to descriptions of violence or blood and gore and so on, you may want to skip the next couple seconds. Okay, here's what happened. The examination found that someone had stabbed him in one of his eyes. Someone had pushed some kind of weapon directly into his skull. They could see a kind of a triangular uh, cross-section. So there was this void, this triangle-shaped void in his skull. Jesus. And that wasn't it. He had other stabs as well, right? Yeah. No, he, he very much did get, get dog-piled on. Um, he had one to his left shoulder blade that went into his chest, probably hit some serious uh, uh, important guts in there, uh, vital organs. Um, but that might have been the kill shot, right? Uh, it wouldn't have been a super protracted death, but probably wouldn't have been instant either. Um, and then we've got uh, the final insult to injury kind of wound, don't we? Yeah. Turns out his right hand had been severed, and they could see three different blows from a blade. Somebody completely cut off his right hand, most likely to make it more convenient to steal his rings. So instead of working them off the finger, they just cut off his hand and kept going. And this could probably be, this sort of practice could probably be an episode all its own because wartime scavenging up to and including the looting of cadavers uh, was very common at this time. Oh yeah, I mean it continues to be co- continue to be common in like you know uh, World War One and World War Two. Bodies were often looted. We even did a story about uh, dental work that was done exclusively right. with uh, looted teeth mm-hmm. and fillings and things like that from from fallen uh, soldiers during the Civil War. Yep, during yep. the Civil War and from other countries during that time. It's where we originated that. Uh, world-famous, ridiculous historian phrase, straight seahorse teeth. Yeah, that's true. That episode was absolutely straight seahorse teeth, and I love seeing that one uh, catch on, if even in a small way, on the internet. Um, So, yeah, I'm picturing this scene, Ben. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see this dramatized, full guts and glory and all. I mean, it's, you know, because there's that moment where he topples off his horse and then the horde swarms him, you know. I mean, what a melee, you know. That would be an absolute uh, horror show. Slow motion as the music swells and then maybe we hear this is so common in action films historical action films maybe we hear in the distance uh, the song like his wife softly singing a love song I'm a big fan of the slow motion scream Mm -hmm. that has the audios almost in slow motion too it's like Mm -hmm. and in the background there's some like 
for England. Exactly. Back to Lord of the Rings. It reminds me of that one where Pippin is singing that delightful song while the men are being slaughtered and the the weird king is eating his gross chicken and grapes. Or, yeah, God. And as the misophonia uh, that I have just drives me insane, watching them suck on those tiny tomatoes. No! It's so gross. That's right. They weren't grapes. They were grape tomatoes. (laughs) Oh, man. And then do you remember also in Game of Thrones when Podrick starts singing that weird song about Jenny dancing with her ghost. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's got that vibe. Yeah, you're right. There's a, this could be, uh, an, this could be excellent fodder for an historical drama. And you know what? If there already is one, go ahead, feel free to hip us to it. And so, uh, pending messages from studio producers the world over, this concludes our episode on the strange heroic, larger-than-life end of Blind John, the King of Bohemia. But it does not mean the end of the show. We will be back very soon with more, you guessed it, ridiculous people, places, and events from the span of human history. In the meantime, we'd like to hear your stories about these larger-than-life deaths, you know? You know what I've been really into? I, I think maybe we talked about it earlier. I have always been fascinated with the stories of someone's famous last words. Often, I feel like they're made up. Oh, clearly. You know? Right? Yeah. Like, there's one with Oscar Wilde where, this one I always thought was true, where he says, either the wallpaper goes or I do, because he hated the wallpaper when he was expiring, and then he died. Uh, Che Guevara said, uh, shoot, fool, you are only killing a man. My, my personal favorite is uh, Ronald Reagan's deathbed uh, uh, final words, which is, win one for the gipper. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when Reagan said that when he I, died? I'm sure he, you know, he, I feel like most people's famous last words are probably, <gasps> so I feel like we should just count the thing before they had that death rattle. Uh, There was another one, I can't remember who said it, but someone said, I should have never switched from scotch to martinis. That sounds like something someone would say in a voice like this. Mm, It does. Whoever's got that voice, it was him. Rip rip Torn? Yeah, probably. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you want to let us know some of your favorite noble deaths, some of your favorite famous last words, uh, reach out. We're all over the internet. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram, not just as a show, but as a as people are ourselves. Yeah, we're actually human people that do things outside of this podcast uh, shipping container that we find ourselves in so often. Uh, you can find me on Instagram exclusively. Uh, I occupy no other social media real estate on the internet except occasional Facebook uh, feed trolling for, for fake news. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Brown. And you can find me on various adventures and misadventures here and abroad on Instagram at Ben Bolin. You can also find me on Twitter where I am at Ben Bolin HSW. My office hours are weird. They're pretty much 24-7. Always feel free to drop by and say hello. Uh, I can't wait to hear what people send. I can't wait to hear what kind of famous uh, last words people send. And you know what, you guys, Casey, Noel, we should have a party at some point, you know, like a little little soiree kind of thing. Uh, I'm going to go grab a beer after work today. If you guys want to come, we can pour one out for the Gipper. I have to, I have to ha- catch a flight. Boo. Next time. Next time. 
big thanks to super producer Casey Pegram, Christopher Hasiotis here in spirit, Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Also thanks, of course, to Gabe Luzier. Thanks to Eve's Jeffcoat. Thanks to Jonathan Strickland, the quister who isn't here for the anniversary. I know, I know. He's, he's been hot taken on Facebook, though. I feel like he's still here. Have you uh, seen him? I have seen him. A ridiculous it's, historian. It's, he said some things, some very choice things about you and your uh, vo- vocal warm-up regimen. And you as well. Yeah. 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 He's, he, he, uh... He went off. He feels you know. ways about things. He does feel ways I about think, things. I think he's getting a little punchy since we haven't been including him. He might be feeling a little left out. So I think we should bring him back into the fold. Absolutely. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.